The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. When the Facts Change is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, in partnership with Kiwi Bank, the bank for Kiwi looking to get ahead in business and in life, a bank that delivers expertise and banking know-how, smart advice for business owners wanting to invest, grow their business or diversify, a bank that adapts with technology through the lens of its people and customers, that is a bank with heart that is driven by its purpose, Kiwi making Kiwi better off. How do we get more competition in banking? It's something the government will be looking at in the next year or two. Well, at least the Labour government, if they get back in. They're doing a market study into banking. It's hard, though, because so many people have got so much of their lives wrapped up in their bank accounts. There's so much data going in, going out. The thought of having to move all of those direct payments, all of those relationships, saved passwords into a whole new bank sounds just too hard. And as we've found, it has been too hard. There's very little movement in people taking their main bank account from one bank to another in New Zealand. Now, this isn't the case overseas, where there is more competition, where they have what's called open banking. This means that you can collect your data from your bank account and put it into the app of your choice. You own the data. And over a decade ago, Europe and the UK in particular, the competition authorities there forced the banks to open up their data systems to these fintechs, the companies that are making little apps that allow bank customers to share their data with these apps. Now, understandably, there are concerns about security, the idea that someone from North Korea or China or Russia or someone who just has got bad intentions decides to disguise themselves as an app developer, scoop all your bank data up and do dodgy things. That's true. But the UK, Europe and Australia have arranged their regulation and uh, ensured that there is someone checking before you get rights to get hold of the data, have ensured that the data and the apps and the fintech industries have grown up. So there's a lot more competition in Europe and the UK and increasingly in the United States, but not in New Zealand, where There's been talk about open banking for many, many years, but it seems to take forever. The previous Communist Minister, Chris Farfoy, got very frustrated and uh, four years ago actually threatened the banks that he would regulate them if they didn't allow their systems to be open. And in effect, that's what's going through now. The new Commerce Minister, Duncan Webb, is pushing through a piece of legislation on open data rights. And this will give people clarity about what data they own within a bank or any other type of services organisation and who will have the right to get into that data. 
This week on When the Facts Change, we go into the nitty-gritty of how to make our banking system open in Aotearoa. What is the regulatory environment like? Are we really opening it up to these fintechs? Can there be a lot more competition? We speak to Josh Daniel, who is the Chief Operating Officer of Akahu. It's one of these interesting companies that acts as a middleman, if you like, a layer between the fintech and the banks, who acts as a gatekeeper to make sure that the app developers are doing the right thing, making sure that the security is good. There are quite a few of these middle layers between fintechs and banks overseas, and it's meant it's easier for people to share their data with a multiplicity of apps and to do it safely. The best example in the United States is an app called Venmo, which if anyone's been there or has any American friends will know, allows people to pay each other money on the spot using their mobile phones, engineering a bank-to-bank transfer. Let's say if you wanted to pay for half of the dinner or pay back a $10 gift or whatever it is. But in New Zealand, that's quite hard. Some of the banks make it really easy to pay people who share the same bank, but payments between banks is difficult and can be expensive, particularly once you start to use the credit card companies. So there's a lot riding on this move towards open banking. Josh talks about um, how to make sure that this system is safe, what the potential hopes are for open banking, and what needs to be done to ensure there's a lot more competition in New Zealand. He's also pointing out there are things that we can do with our new environment, which avoids repeating the mistakes seen in Europe and the UK and Australia. Because ultimately, New Zealand is a country that has plenty of monopolies and duopolies and sectors dominated by large companies, where all sorts of technical debt, if you like, um, arrangements, difficulties in shifting from one to the next mean there isn't as much competition as we'd like. The best example of an industry where once there was a duopoly and targeted intervention improved competition was, of course, on mobile phones, where the creation of number portability and the engineering of a third entrance along with the ability for people to shift quickly and easily from one company to the next, transformed that sector. And we can hope that the advent of open banking in a safe, secure, clean way does the same here. That's this week on When the Facts Change. Well, kia ora, and welcome to Josh Daniel, who is the Chief Operating Officer of Akahu. Josh, welcome to When the Facts Change. Thanks for having me. Could you give us a, a, a bit of a potted history of Akahu and, and what's your corporate whakapapa, if you like? I would go back to a decade ago when our founder, Ben Lynch, was working at Zero in the Bank Feeds team which is the team that is involved with making sure you can get a Zero user's transaction data out of the bank that they bank with and into Zero, so that it just magically shows up every day and you can then simplify the bank reconciliation process. So Ben was working that team and thought there's got to be a better way than how we're doing it currently in the intermediary that Zero was using in those days. 
So he started building an interface between his own bank accounts um, and his bank so that he could interact programmatically with his own money. Um, and he found a way to do that by reverse engineering the mobile apps of the banks and tinkered away in his spare time. And in 2017, turned that into a full-time project where him and another engineer, Ollie, uh, built and experimented with a whole lot of features in a consumer app called Jude. Then in 2020, we made the decision to split out everything that had been built. The infrastructure layer, which is that connectivity layer between banks and third-party applications that was put into a company called Akahu. Um, Westpac made an investment in Akahu and off it's gone on its own journey. And then some of the IP was retained in the consumer app, which is now called Dollar, which is a payment app, but similar to Venmo or Cash App. Um, so Dollar now uses Akahu, but Akahu is available to third-party developers that want to include some form of account connectivity in their products. So it's an open finance intermediary. So um, from a New Zealand point of view, a lot of bank customers may not know that in other countries, the UK and Europe and the United States, there are a whole bunch of these fintechs, financial technology companies, which offer apps and all sorts of applications which allow people to use their data, bring in their data from their bank company, their, their insurer, maybe their, um, uh, the, the credit reference checking company that they use, pull this data together, obviously with the appro approval of the user, but also in a safe way, through a safe gateway that um, you could call a, um, an API or is called an API. I've never known what API stands for, but I think of it as a safe gateway. And um, you can do some amazing things. Also, uh, it creates a whole lot more competitive tension in your financial services sector and, and means that the banks no longer become the gatekeepers for all of this data. Can you give us a sense of where New Zealand is in that um, journey, if you like, um, compared to other countries and what's going on in a, in a regulatory industry sense? Yeah, sure. So I'll talk first about what has been going on in New Zealand historically and then the regulation that's coming. So like many countries, New Zealand has a lot of applications that have some form of account connectivity in them already. And we've talked about zero. So accounting software is a category that's had this for about 20 years. Um, another common example in New Zealand is loan applications. If you have applied for a home loan or say an unsecured personal loan, you will typically get invited to connect your bank accounts so that the lender can fetch the data about your income and expenses and perform an analysis of whether you can afford that loan that you're applying for. Um, so Banks, for example, will either do this directly or via brokers in their supply chain, and that's also been around for about 20 years in New Zealand. Another common example that people may have seen is, is a pay-by-bank provider. So if you've paid for toll roads with Waka Kotahi, or if you've paid online at the warehouse, or for flights from here in New Zealand, you would have seen an option to pay by card or an option to pay by bank. So there are some examples like this that have been around in New Zealand for a long time. I'd say there's been a more recent wave. So as an intermediary in New Zealand, we have 44 app customers that are doing things with connected bank accounts in some way. Um, but what is coming in New Zealand is regulation that's called the Customer and Product Data Bill. 
this often gets shorthanded as CDR, which means consumer data rights. And this regulation will provide a regulated system for data sharing. So it will provide a regulated way for you to connect a data feed to your budgeting tool or a regulated way for you to connect your bank account to the Uber app and pay by bank instead of paying by card. So this legislation is currently in draft form and is out for consultation. And what we expect is that all these current activities that use account connectivity will migrate into this regulatory system once it is rolled out and ready for it. And why do we need regulation? Um, because in theory, if I trust the intermediary and I give my approval, we should be okay. But sometimes the banks have said things like, uh, you know, if we allow a backdoor into our systems, all sorts of uh, dodgy types could get hold of the data. Mm. There are two main reasons why we need this regulation. The first is that these current methods for connecting your bank account to another product generally involve sharing your login credentials, which everyone would acknowledge is suboptimal. It means that you have to trust the third party service or the intermediary in the same way that you trust your bank. Um, but at the moment, for a lot of apps, it's the only way to do it. So that's how they're doing it today. But this regulated system will force banks and any other sectors that fall within this regime to provide the functionality for third parties to redirect the user to the bank, log in, give their consent, and then redirect back to the third-party service. So your authentication will happen directly with your bank instead of via a third party. So that's one upgrade that this regulation should deliver. The second is that currently, if you do want to formally contract with a bank or another data holder to interface with their systems, you have to negotiate a legal contract that sits between those two parties. And there's not much negotiating power if you want to do that because there's not a lot of incentive for a data holder to make it simple for their customers to share their data externally. Um, and you would need to set up those agreements with every data holder that you want to interface with. What this regulation will do is centralize that. So you will become accredited under this regime by MB as the government agency that will be responsible for it. And once you are accredited, then you will have the right to fetch data or initiate payments with participating data holders without needing to contract with them individually. Because that, that could be one of the big wins of this um, process is, is avoiding this awkward <laughs> idea that you, you have to hand over your bank user login and password to someone else, which has been a, a worrisome prospect uh, in this whole process of you know trying to avoid these huge fees that you have to pay whenever you use a credit card, um, but at the same time, very quickly and easily make a direct bank payment from a bank to bank. That's exactly right. So at the moment, consumers face this tough choice. If they want to use the functionality in a third-party service, but that's the only way for that third-party service to interface with their bank account, they've got to decide, do I trust this third-party? And is the value proposition worth it? To be fair, there's still going to be a high trust barrier when the regulated system is there. Because let's say you grant an enduring payment consent to a third-party app, you still have to have a high level of trust in that third-party service. 
but you won't have to share login credentials to create the connection. So it will reduce the trust somewhat to use those third-party services, and it will train people in a more secure way of granting access. Win the Facts Change is brought to you in partnership with KiwiBank to help you understand the issues affecting the economy. And that's what their team of experts is here to do too. Here's KiwiBank's Chief Economist, Jared Kerr, on what's happening with inflation in 2024. Globally, inflation rose to really high levels. We saw inflation averaging over 10% uh, last year. Now central banks have reacted, they've tightened monetary policy, they've lifted interest rates to levels where it hurts. We've seen growth slow down and we're seeing inflation coming off, which is great news because we import a lot of inflation from the rest of the world and that imported inflation is easing. So half the job that we're trying to do locally is is being done for us offshore. The other half, the domestic bit, well, that's the tough bit. That's the sticky inflation that's coming out of our housing market, it's coming out of construction, it's coming out of service industries, and it's going to be hard to contain. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to stay up to date with detailed economic analysis and forecasts from Jared and other KiwiBank experts. They take big issues from both here and overseas and make them relevant to Kiwi businesses. At Z, we're all about moving with the times. And now it's time to be part of the climate change solution and move on from fossil fuels. As a company providing fuel to people all over the country, we also know we have a real opportunity to lead that change. We're committed to keeping Aotearoa moving by providing the right energy for everyone. We believe that innovation in fuel and how it's used can make a huge difference to our planet. Find out more at z.co.nz. And, um, you know, what are the, what's the long-term prospects here if we get this right? Um, uh, what might our financial landscape look and um, what sort of benefits are there for consumers, the economy, and ultimately um, uh, everyone? The Act and the Purpose section, or the Bill, I should say, talks about promoting competition and innovation. So if we look at those in turn, if we think about competition first, I think we've all as consumers experienced that scenario where we're with, say, a power provider and you see them with some sweetheart deal for attracting new customers. And so you call them up and say, hey, I saw that deal that you've got going. Can I jump on that? And they say, no, no, that's that's only for new customers. I'm sorry. So there's this idea at the moment in a lot of industries about a loyalty penalty rather than a loyalty reward. And this is playing on the inertia of a customer because it takes effort to shop around and then actually switch to a new provider. So one of the promises of making it simpler for your data to be shared with another provider is that it will make it easier to switch a provider when there is a better deal. So that's an example of increasing competition. Examples of increasing innovation are more navel-gazing. You can look at some examples that are here now, like you know, leveraging your transaction data in accounting software or budgeting tools, um, or you know, we have a few different payroll services that enable the customers to link a bank account and just automatically make the payments after you complete your pay run. 
Uh, but you can look further afield. And I think a good example, because it just affects so many parts of the economy, is doing more payments over the bank rails, which are cheaper. So if we can make it simpler for consumers to connect a bank account to a merchant or some service that does uh, billing over card rails currently, and you can convert that to the bank rails, then there's an economy-wide benefit that gets really big the more it grows and the more time goes on. Particularly because um, MasterCard and Visa have inserted a particular layer of fees into the economy in recent years with the use of PayPass and, and um PayWave uh, and the way they've worked together with the banks means that where once, you know, most transactions were FPOS and relatively cheap, there's a whole bunch now where the fees are, you know, half a percent, one percent, two percent, depending on who you are. And that's for a lot of small businesses, let alone people struggling to get by, that's a chunky little number that seems to disappear into the ether and end up on the profit and loss lines of the big four banks and the two big credit card companies or credit card systems. That's right. It becomes really meaningful when you look at economy-wide. And on particularly for small transaction amounts, then if there is a minimum fee, then it actually represents quite a chunk of the margin. So yeah, that can be really meaningful. And then just skirting back out to what's this legislation going to deliver? We talked about competition and innovation. There is, I think, a third rationale that is talked about in the purpose of the bill too, that I guess is a more intangible purpose, but is worth mentioning. And that is just the idea that consumers should be empowered with more rights in relation to their data. And you could, if you're thinking this way, you could almost see it like an extension to the Privacy Act, where you can currently go to some organization that holds data about you and request any personal information. So what this regulation does is firstly it broadens that you don't it's not just individuals that can request the data, it's businesses too. It's not just personal information, it's um, anything that gets designated as data under the legislation. So it'll be more than just personal information. And you won't have to call or email or go into a branch. You can just use an electronic process to get the data about you immediately and get it in machine-readable form, which makes it easier to use in downstream services. So it's almost like giving us the kind of rights that we need for this modern data age. And that's a harder one to be tangible about, but I think it is an important underlying purpose for this legislation too. And just finally, you know, this is a, a piece of New Zealand legislation for the sovereign nation of New Zealand, uh, and obviously applies to banks that are based here, or at least have um, their branch operations here in New Zealand fintechs. But it seems to most people that a lot of these services, companies, tools are global. Is there any point in New Zealand having their own operation? Can't we just sort of piggyback off the EU or take whatever comes out of Australia or the UK or the US? That's a good question. But we have with this regulation looked at what's happened in the UK with their regulation and Australia with their regulation, which is very similar to what is proposed here. So we certainly have looked at examples overseas where we can with this regulation. And I'd say New Zealand is a bit of a fast follower with the regulatory approach, which I think is good. There's been a bleeding edge from the UK and Australia, and we've been able to avoid, I think, in our draft legislation, some of the pitfalls that 
those countries have found. But yeah, I would I would also point to countries like Australia where you do have high uptake of bank account connectivity and third-party products. They don't have an enabling regulatory regime. They've just got compelling products that deliver a lot of value from connecting accounts and have given consumers the choice to use those products and decide whether they trust the intermediary. So we do have, in most countries around the world, a blended approach where you've got these products that use less secure methods but offer a strong value prop and they will evolve into a a regulated system when a regulated system is available and can do the job. And we're seeing that transition occur right now in Australia and New Zealand is headed the same way. Josh, thank you very much for being on When the Facts Change. You're welcome. When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, together with KiwiBank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to find out how KiwiBank are making Kiwi better off. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.